Hello and welcome back to the Today is the Day podcast for this hot topic mini episode. Vegan or paleo, keto, what is the best? There are so many options out there and in this episode we are breaking down how to know what just might be the right one for you. I'm Megan Teltner, founder of the Academy of Culinary Nutrition, and joining me in this episode is my co-instructor at the Academy, Josh Catalis, who is also a functional medicine practitioner. Together, we teach the Culinary Nutrition Expert Program, a 14-week certification program where you will know with absolute confidence by the end what the absolute right diet is for you and for those that seek your guidance. Here at the Academy of Culinary Nutrition, we are inclusive all dietary styles. Our objective really is to offer you the information so you can make the best choice. If you want to have this information locked in in your own brains, know how to do the research, know how to figure it all out, I want to invite you to join us for our 14-week certification program. It's the Culinary Nutrition Expert Program and registration is now open. Head on over to culinarynutrition.com forward slash program to learn more. Now, here we go. Josh and I trying to figure out for you, for us, for everyone, what's better, vegan or paleo? You might be surprised by what we come up with. What's interesting when it comes to a lot of these diets is that they become popular and then, you know, there's podcasts on it and all of the good information about them and benefits is sort of what's being presented to the population, right? It's it's kind of all the bad stuff's being filtered. And then everyone starts trying this because they think it's going to help them. So the ketogenic diet was in, was made popular, well, it was started back in the 30s, I think, to treat children with epilepsy. Was it in the 1930s? Yeah, was- and this is a great example of this. Yes, and now it's had a resurgence and it's being used very commonly now for endurance athletes and bodybuilding and training and people are proclaiming amazing physical health benefits, get leaning up and building muscle, amazing mental health, acuity, agility, agility, agility. I maybe I need to be on a keto diet, mental agility. And that's who we hear about. We don't hear a lot of people said, oh, I did keto and like I got depressed because I wasn't getting the right fuel to my brain. So one example with the keto diet is that there's been so many interviews and information coming out on its utility and use for cancer. And it's it's quite impressive, actually. Uh, what we know now for the ketogenic diet is it's tremendous for treating certain types of brain cancers like glioblastoma. But what people don't know and what gets a little bit filtered out is it's not so good for other types of cancers like kidney cancer, it's actually shown to be detrimental for people with kidney cancer. So again, people are listening to these interviews and and seeing, oh, ketogenic, great for cancer. And then they're going and using it in all sorts of different scenarios. And that's where some of the danger lies. What we need to note here is that people who use the ketogenic diet, let's say to heal or recover from glioblastoma, brain cancer, may not or, or rather do not need to and probably shouldn't be on the ketogenic diet their entire life. They may need to do what you might call, I don't know if you'd call it a keto cleanse, you may need to do spurts of it intermittently. But there's very few people who would thrive ongoing till the end of their days on a strictly ketogenic diet. Right. And again, that's something that when someone is going through this type of situation, this health crisis, 
they will work with their primary healthcare practitioner to determine how long they need to be on it, how long they need that therapeutic effect, and whether they do need to stay on it lifelong or if they can veer off of it a little bit. I say this several times through the course of the Culinary Nutrition Expert Program. I've said it probably, I think I've already said it once in this episode, but remember guys, the diet that heals you may not be the diet that sustains your health ongoing. So remember that it is a constant evolution. It's a constant check-in with yourself. It could be a constant or ongoing or periodic check of your blood work because that will tell you what's going on in your body. And sometimes best of all is, is how you actually feel when you wake up in the morning, after you eat, going to bed at night. Let's hone in here on one specific diet that's been shown to be beneficial for heart disease, for example, and and other degenerative diseases over the years. You know, the vegan diet has been given a lot of support in terms of how healthy it is. And a huge part of that, obviously, is the amount of vegetables people are eating in that diet, right? So sometimes we're arguing about the wrong aspect of the diet. There are some key diets out there that are touted by medical doctors and, you know, other authors. And uh, lots of studies. Yeah, it, that are vegan-based, yes. for example. Like the China study was one that came out and just like turned a lot of people's, you know, thinking around and a couple documentaries that have come out as well. But we have to look at the diet and really figure out what is the part of the diet that's so healthful, that's so uh, beneficial for heart disease, for example, because, you know, there's been a lot in, in relation to heart disease. And is it the macronutrients? Is it like the, the meat and the protein that's really causing the harm? Or is it the fact that a lot of these diets have a lack of vegetables? Right. So for example, let me just give you a picture of a plate. Okay. Okay. You have a big salad on yep. that plate, maybe some roasted vegetables, and then you have maybe some quinoa with beans in it as your protein source. This is the vegan version. Yes. And that's your meal. Yes. Right? Versus you have another plate, picture this, a big salad, your roasted vegetables, and you have, you know, a few strips of organic grass-fed steak. Or you can have a plate that is a fake cheese with white bread grilled sandwich and french fries with ketchup, which also is a vegan meal, however, has absolutely no nutritional value. Yeah. Or you could have another paleo plate that is like a 16 ounce steak with some white potatoes and gravy. Yes. And some sour cream. And it's a feedlot cow. So as you can see, there's, through there's, with antibiotics. Should I stop now? <laughs> <laughs> so as you can see, there's many versions of, of all the disciplines. And when we look at these studies, they're not necessarily taking all this into account. You know, like one of the most common questions I get from my clients is, isn't, you know, if you're on the paleo diet or the keto diet, isn't eating all that meat really bad? Right. But I think a lot of the times when they're looking at those types of high meat diets, it's like the standard American diet. It's people eating poor quality meat coupled with high sugar foods, which have a synergistically negative effect in the gut and in the body through the context of maybe having a pop with it and being in a rush and, you know, not really having the meal in, in the right context. Right. So you could be eating it in a stressful environment, not fully digesting it and having those, an increase in inflammatory compounds as a direct result. Absolutely. Here's a little, a little example slash experiment. So I as I mentioned, was was vegan for a very long time. I never used the title because labels are for tin cans. Recently, I've been wearing a 24-hour glucose monitor. 
And it's been just an experiment to see how different meals affect my blood sugar levels. And I do now eat a predominantly, I mean, in the summer, it's just a lot of vegetables and a lot of salads and small amounts of animal-based protein. But over the last two weeks, I had one meal that was what I would have considered a typical healthy vegan meal. It was black rice, tons of vegetables, a little bit of sprouted tofu, cooked in some, I think it was avocado oil. I had ginger and lots of spices and it spiked my blood sugar, the highest it's been in the last two weeks. And then it took a long time for it to recover itself, for it to sort of restabilize. Most meals that I'm eating that are high vegetable with small amounts of animal protein, I stay within my optimal range. So this one meal spiked it. And so if we look at on a personal level, what are our health objectives? And we know that though, you know, in the studies and the research, plant-based and vegetable-based diets do better in the research and have better outcomes. What is the long-term effect and what is the root cause of the original problem we're trying to resolve? So if I'm trying to resolve hormonal imbalance, let's say, or looking at getting more fit, let's say, those blood sugar spikes and drops and being in that roller coaster is going to have a negative long-term effect on my health objectives. Do you like your brain, Megan? I do like my brain. I think it works really well 92% of the time now that I'm sleeping again. Listen to episode nine. Well, I think another thing you might be interested in benefiting from with balancing blood sugar is preventing brain shrinkage because- as- nobody Because nobody likes shrinkage of any kind? no. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get back on track here. Enough about shrinkage. What were you going to say? As blood sugar increases and also a marker in the blood for blood sugar over the long term called hemoglobin A1C, brain shrinkage increases. So, you know, it's not always these, you know, immediate symptoms or acute symptoms that we're trying to manage. It's like also long-term health as well. When you have that high blood sugar, which we saw when you were on that specific diet, right? That vegan diet or that vegan meal that you had, the sugars can damage the proteins in our blood and actually damage tissues around the body. And that's why it's so dangerous for diabetics to have high blood sugar, right? Yeah. It starts to damage their tissues and that leads to nerve damage and eventually di- diabetic neuropathies and problems with their eyes and, you know, in very severe cases, amputation. So looking back at some of the root causes of these issues years before it becomes a problem, looking at the blood sugar, we're evaluating and you're evaluating with this little personal experiment, you know, what's happening at that physiological micro level on a daily basis. Right. And it can also explain why I felt amazing when I first shifted to a vegan diet and it worked for me for a couple of years and then slowly stopped working because there's some things that you feel the immediate benefit or negative effect from. And there's some things that over time, these patterns develop in your body and then you slowly start to experience a more negative outcome from it. And this isn't to say that, you know, the vegan diets for nobody and it, you know, we know lots of people who are on it and it serves them and has served them for a long period of time. But again, like we've been saying all along, it always comes back to the individual, what your current needs are, what your long-term needs are, and how we can continuously be open to evolving to best suit our health objectives. All right. What did you think? Did a few light bulbs go on for you during that short clip? I'd be curious to know. 
Before I say farewell, I want you to have an opportunity to meet one of our amazing culinary nutrition expert graduates. We celebrate over 2,500 grads in more than 70 countries around the world, and they all take from this experience something unique, something exceptional, something special, and something that impacts their life in profound ways. My name is Michael Tannenbaum, and I am a 2016 graduate of the Academy of Culinary Nutrition. I live in Los Angeles. Taking this course taught me the skills to make almost all of my food from scratch using high quality farm fresh ingredients. I learned recipe development skills and gained an understanding of ingredients and their substitutions. But it was much more than just a cooking class. The most challenging part was juggling the in-depth written assignments with studying the nutrition science and cooking the food, all while still working at my agency job. But I assure you it is very doable. Initially, I had no idea what I wanted to do with the education. As the modules progressed, I outlined several food business ideas as part of the curriculum, including writing about food and starting my own blog. I've since become a freelance food journalist. And in the spring of 2019, I launched Consciously Kosher. I envision Consciously Kosher as an online platform to educate both the Jewish community and the general public on the overall health benefits of a kosher diet rich in nutritious, predominantly unprocessed whole foods. It grew out of my culinary nutrition research to heal the body and mind with food. My goal is to make Consciously Kosher the number one destination for healthful eating habits, meal hacks, and innovative food products in both the Jewish and conscious eating communities. And I've just launched a lively podcast that I know you will enjoy. Head on over and submit a review. I am grateful to the Academy of Culinary Nutrition for providing the tools and inspiration for me to make the leap from the marketing agency world to my true passion. Alrighty, my friends, that here wraps up today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Now head on over to culinarynutrition.com forward slash program if you're feeling inspired, want to feel empowered in the kitchen, motivated, building that confidence with skills and knowledge. This might be exactly what you've been looking for. You belong here with us. Once again, that address is culinarynutrition.com forward slash program. I hope to see you in the kitchen real soon. Have a great day. Thank you.